Hello and welcome to the premiere episode of Wanderlust Journeys, the podcast that takes you on a voyage through the captivating world of tourism. I'm your host, Mattia Marziale, and today we embark on an exciting adventure as we delve into the vibrant world of event and concert tourism. In this episode, we are thrilled to have a special guest who's an expert in event and concert tourism, who is going to give us some unique insights to our discussion. So, fasten your seatbelts, fellow wanderers, as we embark on this journey into the heart of event and concert tourism. Before we dive into the heart of our discussion. Let's take a moment to introduce our special guest. Joining us today is Philip, a seasoned professional in the event and concert tourism industry. I'm truly honored to have him here today to share his valuable insight with us. So Philip, welcome to Wanderlust Journeys. Could you please tell us uh, a bit of a bit more about your background? Thank you, Matia, for having me. Um, my name is Philip Ferguson. And I've spent more or less like last six years uh, in the field of event and concert tourism. I know COVID came and took two festival seasons away, but I still work, what to say, with the planning and how to navigate in a, what to say, challenging time as it is when your whole sector is being shut down. But my passion for this field stems from seeing, what to say, the happiness and the happy faces on guests when they my work, so to speak, and it's nothing better for me to than seeing uh, people smiling, especially if it's something I have made. So I am very, very excited to be here today, and thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Thank you for your presentation. To set the stage, let's start by defining what what an event and concert tourism uh, is all about. We know that concert and event tourism is an accelerating dimension of travel. It's when people plan their journeys primarily to attend specific events or happenings. But now, Philip, can you tell us what do you think about it? Like, give us some insights of this topic. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, what differentiate the event and concert tourism from a what to say another form of engagement industry such as for example streaming football or sports or a movie or series on, on TV at home is the interactive aspect so people can hear and see and feel and smell and like kind of engage with the entertainment that's going on and that is apparently something that people uh, seek for since uh, it's a growing industry. Um, and it's, I understand why, because since it's, uh, it's interactive, it also forces the guest to be there physically. And that's something that you can't yet create, uh, what do you say, from home with AI or VR or something. Maybe it's, it's happening. But since people need to be there physically, it also results in an industry with a lot of different players and needs and possibilities and people. 
that's why in order to have an event you both need maybe someone who's selling food selling beverages you need some security people some technicians merchandise shops uh transportation for the guests and maybe accommodation uh i need to have some content you need to make some uh, excitement beforehand and maybe also after uh so it's like a whole what to say uh cosmos or like world you're creating when one one event and that's just a very fascinating industry to be part of wow it is definitely it is so the key difference from the typical travel is the purpose behind it but but as you said uh, this kind of tourism requires a lot of actors working in synergy to create a unique experience this brings me to the next segment of our podcast which is the economic segment. Next up, we'll delve into the economic side of event and concert tourism. Philip Can you please shed light on the substantial revenue generated by ticket sales and the positive impact on local businesses for both host cities and uh, enthusiastic attendees? Indeed. I mean, how the, the, the what to say, um, the finance behind every event is composed, I am not sure of. Um, But the ticket sale, of course, generates some income, and as well as what I say, the the, the more people spend uh, on the actual events, maybe on food, beverages, or merchandise, or other uh, like uh, events or happenings within the event. But what I can say is that's um, it's an interesting industry, and uh, it can become a very very big industry. And the reason why that, and it's also a very sustainable industry in some sort. And the reason I'm saying that is because I remember reading somewhere that every time there's one job created within the British cultural industry, there was uh, 0.7 job, almost one extra job created somewhere else in a local area. Because that requires, if you have a big event, as I said before, taxi drivers taking people to and from the event, waiters at local restaurants, catering for the guests. Uh, people working in hotels because people need to, to stay there, local cafes, uh, people take the bus or they pay parking fees or they experience some of the other things that that area uh, have to offer besides the event. Uh, you need to have more people working at the event, security, technicians. Um, I mean, so it's very, very, uh, from a financial perspective, it can become very good industry Uh, a very sorry, a very good like financial investments for municipalities or regions and countries to support the local culture industry because it can boost the local community and the local uh, what to say uh, financial sector very very easily. And I gotta say, I, I don't know how the equation looks like in other industries. Let's say there's one job being created in fashion industry is also how, how, how many extra jobs they're creating elsewhere in the local industry. But I don't assume it's that big because all about the cultural industry is that it's very, very locally based. 
And you also see that there are events, for example, in Denmark that get paid for traveling to outlying municipalities, but the same events all need to pay in order to be in the bigger cities. And that's because the outlying municipalities don't have the, the same amount of events and therefore they get a financially get a boost from having an event at this size. While the big events, they have plenty of events and, and therefore don't need it as much. And there's also, I mean, moreover, it's also a way for municipalities and regions to attract more citizens. For example, the Danish city of Aarhusens is a very remarkable example of, the, of this uh, tactic, you can say. Because back in the 80s, Aarhusens was a mid-sized Danish town. Uh, they had a big um, prison that was like primarily what they were known for. And then they couldn't attract more citizens, they couldn't attract new, uh, what to say, investors to the city, they couldn't attract new workers. Uh, so what they did, that they sat down, looked within, like, what were they good at? And they had this kind of uh, medieval festival that they made every year. And that attracted a lot of people, like thousands and of thousands. So they said, okay, great, there's something about events that we're good at. And then the municipality started investing huge in creating more events and specifically concerts. And it's just been building up constantly. And to this day, it's one of the, the cities in Denmark that have the most concerts per year. And they battle with Copenhagen. Uh, but in Copenhagen, it's 1.5 million people living there. In Horsens, it's, I think it's 60,000. And like only in 2022 and 2023, they had Sting, Elson John, Harry Styles, uh, The Weeknd. They had their own uh, metal festival uh, twice, and they had some smaller concerts as well. So uh, that's like a, a tactic that Austin's have used that have been paid off hugely. I mean, once they had Rolling Stones playing there and there was 80,000 people attending the concert, but only 50,000 living in the city. Uh, and it has completely turned the city around uh, by investing so hugely in an industry that, what to say, um, creates rings in the water in the local community. Well, yeah, so well that's yeah. Of, that's good. Yes. That's so good. To be honest, yeah. And we, we both know, we both attended at Harry Styles concert in uh, mm -hmm. in Austin in the summer. And it was great. It was like, I, I was there for the experience and you were there for your work. But I think we can both agree that the, that event gathered people from all over the world. So there was a lot of tourism there. Don't you think? Indeed, and people came, yes, yeah, to say, from all over, and they transported with trains and buses because the parking options are so bad in Denmark. But that was 60,000 people in two days. Or guess 60,000 guests, then you maybe had 500 people working at the event. So, I mean, it's it, it can be like a quick but huge financial boost to a city. Yeah, and always people usually come with their parents sometimes or friends and probably the guests were in the concert 
60,000, but then they had their family outside, they're going to restaurants and, and so on. So, yeah, a lot of people, definitely. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think during the Harris Styles concert, I'm not 100% sure of the, the numbers, but I think that they estimated that each guest spent around 200 kroner on merchandise alone. And on top of that, there's also food, beverages, uh, transportation. So let's say each guest maybe spent 400 kroner per day. That's 60,000 times 400 kroner. That is going out into the local community. Uh, I know this calls taxes and so on, and the merchandise also some goes back to Aristotle's own company. But it's a huge, what to say, yeah, boost that they get from having an event like this. And this was only one, like two days, and a couple of million krona that, that's what to say, runs into a local area. It's marvelous. Wow, wow, really. And yeah, I spent even more, so <laughs> I can relate. But, <laughs> but then, uh, when there are a lot of people, sustainability is very important. In the third and final segment, we'll explore the environmental aspects of events and concert tourism. We know that Denmark's commitment to sustainability in concert and event tourism not only aligns with global efforts to combat climate change, but also enhances the overall experience for event attendees. So, Philip, can you discuss sustainability within the industry? Yeah. I mean, cultural industries, I mean, such as this, this sector I'm working in, the event and concert tourism, can, in my opinion, become like one of the most ecologically sustainable industries. And the reason why I say that is because you get a lot of people into a very, very small area and hereby you lower their carbon footprint per person. Because let's say that you show a movie in a cinema hall, uh, the carbon footprint for showing this movie is almost the same, no matter if there's 10 people watching the movie or 100 people. And the same counts for because you still need to set up uh, the movies and to clean the 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 cinema hall before and afterwards. You still need to have people working at uh, the popcorn machine. If a lot of people need to show up, you still need to have someone looking after the tickets, the electricity, and everything needs to be going on, no matter how many people are attending the movie. And the same like counts for building a music stage or flying a rock star into a show or building food stores or bars or transport merchandise or beers or gear, like music gear and so on. If there's 100,000 people or 10,000 people at a concert, that doesn't change the total carbon footprint of the actual event that much. But if you divide that carbon footprint into the amount of guests, it's a huge difference if there's 10,000 or 100,000. I mean, it's 10 times more people. And if you say, say look at the big uh, festivals in Denmark, let's say Roskilde Festival. The ticket alone costs 2,500 kroner, I think. And then they estimate that each guest uh, in average used 5,000 kroner throughout that week. So that's 7,500 kroner that a concert guest spent on an activity that is has an like a very, very small carbon footprint per guest compared to if that same guest 
took a flight to let's say uh, Thailand for one week and spent seven and a half, half thousand krona there. And also, for example, we used to stay at a concert or a festival or some other kind of event. Of course, I know there's some events maybe that require more power or electricity or have a higher carbon footprint. But if you take a music festival, for example, the energy required for fulfilling that music stage or that uh, tent, music tent, or so to speak, it's so low when you compare it to the amount of people there. And you have made, Roskill have made some calculations on how much like the carbon footprint of each person is, and it's so low. The highest, like, what do you say, uh, area of carbon footprint is actually the food. Because let's say if you have 100,000 people, if they all meet, eat something with meat inside, that can like make these carbon footprints go way up. But that also is a, what do you say, easy, what to say, pain point to solve because at a festival, so mainly not allowed to bring your own food. So you can just close the door off and only serve vegetarian food. Uh, and that way you can lower the, uh, this, the common footprint. And a Danish festival that has done that is the Northside Festival in Aarhus. They have said that uh, no meat or fish or, uh, yeah, no meat or fish is allowed. And in that way, they're like reducing everything they can. And the same way, they need to have special forms of packaging and they run not on generators, they run on like the public available uh, power. They have pretty big park biking areas and it's located next to the city center so people can easily go there without uh, a car. And so it is possible to make, what I, I would say possible to make culture industries uh, a very, very CO2 of like carbon footprint friendly industry. Wow, really, really. I want to thank you, Philip, for your amazing insights. And yeah, it's two years that I know you now, and you have always been teaching me something new. <laughs> I really want to thank you once again for being here. I mean, the pleasure is all mine. Hopefully, it uh, could be used for something fruitful, this interview. Yes, it will be, for sure. For sure. And uh, that brings us to the end of this first episode of Wanderlust Journeys, with our special guest, Philip, sharing his expertise on events and concert tourism. We hope you have enjoyed our exploration. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to explore in future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an exciting episode where we continue to unreveal key issues in tourism consumption. Until next time, keep exploring and creating unforgettable memories. Bon voyage!